Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time as we go into uh, studying about your faithfulness, Lord. We are so grateful for all you have done in our lives, and we do ask, Lord, as we study your word in Genesis and the life of Joseph, that you would just continue to encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, triumph in God's faithfulness, and those songs were so perfect and beautiful for that. So, we have been studying the life of Joseph. What an amazing, true life story. All these pieces, the details, the chess pieces, they've all been put in place. God has put them in place, and God's faithfulness has been seen throughout this throughout his story, throughout these tough situations, we've seen Joseph go in. So we have studied the favored son, Joseph, rejected by his brothers, dead to his father, and now we're going to see he's alive again in his father's life. That's what we're going to be studying today. Um, He didn't know he was alive. He finds out he's alive, and so we're going to talk about that. Joseph has been reunited with his brothers. The famine still has five more years, and the next step is to get his family out of Canaan and into Egypt to spare their lives from this severe famine. So we have seen Joseph's victory over tough things. And hopefully you have made some strides yourself over many of the topics we've discussed in this study on the life of Joseph. Such topics as triumph over bitterness, temptation, betrayal, having triumph in forgiveness, in God's timing, and much more. And so when we end this study, we may have a few testimonies of people that have actually experienced some triumph in their lives through this study. So as you may remember, triumph is the act, fact, or condition of being victorious or triumphant. So today we're going to focus on being victorious in God's faithfulness, not our own. So the focus is going to be on him and not on us. And it may be hard to be victorious if the situation you are in does not show victory. And so we have seen Joseph in some rough spots Trusting in God regardless. And now, here we are 22 years after he was sold into slavery by his brothers. We are also in our reading, as I said, in the midst of a severe famine, as it is stated many times. You'll see the word severe, severe. And in the King James, it says the famine was grievous, meaning heavy, great, massive, hard, difficult, burdensome, very oppressive. And so this is not just a light thing of the eggs are $9. It's much bigger. So so let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis 46 and 47. And as you all know, I can't do justice to two chapters, which we're studying in a short time, but we're going to quickly go through these chapters, getting the highlights, and then hopefully make this practical and applicable to our own lives on this topic of triumph in God's faithfulness. So Genesis 46, verse 1. So Israel, which is his new name, also known as Jacob, which is Joseph's father, took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. So here we see Israel comes to Beersheba to remember what God has done and to seek guidance. He's going to be seeing his son. He hasn't seen him yet. There is family history at this very place with his father, Isaac, and even his grandfather, Abraham. 
Genesis 21:33 says, "Then Abraham, which is Jacob's grandfather, planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God." And so there are three different sacrifices that can be made and could have been made, but this is also before the written law. So we're not sure, but when we see the word sacrifices, we know that there was more than one that he offered. And so very briefly, the ones that are in the written law that could have been before the written law are the sin offering, which is confessing of sins, the burnt offering, the sacrifice of consecration, submitting your will to God's will, and the peace offering, fellowship and communion with God. And so there's much, much more to these sacrifices, but for time's sake, a quick side note for our own lives, although we are not required to sacrifice because the work is finished, um, these three things are valuable in our own lives and relationship with Christ. And we can examine our own lives to see if we are actively um, pursuing these things in our lives. Are we confessing our sins? Are we keeping a short account with the Lord? Are we submitting to God's will and plan, not our own? And are we staying in that sweet fellowship and communion with God, which comes out of the other two and seeking God's word most of all? And so those are just some things we can ask ourselves. Israel needed to connect with what God did in the past by sacrificing at Beersheba so he could be assured of God's plan for the future. And God was faithful. God answered. Genesis 46, verse 2. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you in Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. So Jacob, or Israel, wants to be in God's will. He has certainly made his mistakes in his life. He is older and wiser now. He knows the place he is leaving, leaving Canaan is the promised land that they've been told about. So he's leaving this place. He could be asking, should I be leaving this place? But he also knows that God told Abraham that his descendants would be strangers in a land that is not theirs. And they will serve the people there and they would be afflicted for 400 years. And that's in Genesis 15, 13. Jacob needed confidence in this plan. And our workbook took these verses and gave us some key points that are well worth repeating. If you have done your homework and if you haven't done your homework, it's well worth listening to, I think. So let's look at verse three. Jacob is told, I am God. Jacob is also told that he does not need to fear. God tells him in verse three to go down to Egypt as he will make of him a great nation there. Verse four, God tells him, I am with you. I will go down with you. And verse four also says, God will surely bring this family back to the promised land. And as Jacob led his family into this foreign land, he did not know exactly what the future held. However, at the same time, he knew the future was in God's hands. He has seen God's faithfulness even amidst his mistakes in life. And so we are also in this place. We do not know what the future holds, but we can be assured that God is faithful and our future is in his hands. Jacob and Joseph show us through this story that that is true. 
The great reason Jacob did not need to fear the journey to Egypt was that God promised to bring him back to the promised land. This would be fulfilled after Jacob's death, but it would be fulfilled. Egypt would not be the permanent home for Israel and his children. At the end of verse 4, it says, Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. So his son that he thought was dead for the last 22 years will be there when he dies. What a beautiful promise. And it's, I read in a commentary, it's that compassionate closing of the eyes that happens at death. Sometimes um, when people die, their eyes are open and somebody just very nicely closes their eyes. It's a very compassionate and beautiful, gentle time. It's a beautiful promise we see in Jacob's life. God's faithfulness to the very end. And faithfulness, which is our topic today, obviously, literally means in the word firmness, security, stability, steady, truly, and truth. And in the dictionary, it says the factor quality of being true to one's word or commitment as to what one has pledged to do, professed to believe. And in the dictionary, I thought it was interesting. They wrote this as a reinforcement of the definition that they gave. It said, in the Bible, the psalmist David reports God's faithfulness in keeping promises. I thought that was really interesting. And any quality we can have, because we do want to be faithful, God has to perfection. So here are some of David's psalms on God's faithfulness. Psalm 36, 5, your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Psalm 37, 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. We have that in our kitchen on our big thing, right? Where we eat, feed on his faithfulness. And so I love that. Psalm 92.2, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. Psalm 119.90, your faithfulness endures to all generations. So back to Genesis 46.5, then Jacob arose from Beersheba and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. So all the descendants, the entire family, goes, everything they owned, Jacob was all in on his obedience here. Genesis 46, 8 through 27 gives us the whole group of men that came listing each one by name. And so we're not going to go through all of that. Names are important, but for the sake of time, we're going to jump to verse 27. 27b says, all the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. And so this family would go from a large family to a big nation. Egyptians were a very racist society, and so there would be very little mixing with Jacob's family and the Egyptians. And this would keep the line of Jesus as it was foretold it would be in the prophecy through the line of David. After 400 years, this family will grow to 2 million. So it took this family 215 years to get from 1 to 70, but in another 430 years, They grew to 2 million or more, once again showing God's faithfulness. 
Genesis 46, 28. Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen or Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. So why Judah? You're going to be able to discuss this in your groups, but quickly Judah was in the line of the Messiah. Genesis 38 gives us the historic background considering the ancestry of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. Despite Joseph's stellar character, the Messiah was to come through Judah, the line of David. And if you do your research on Judah, you will find some things that are not so great. But Pastor Chuck Smith says, God's election and choice was the tribe of Judah, that it might be by grace and not by works. Jesus didn't have a pure ancestry. In order that Jesus might fully identify with each of us, God chose an imperfect lineage to bring the Messiah into the world. And so that's an encouragement for all of us that might be imperfect. <laughs> Maybe. Genesis forty six twenty nine. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face because you are still alive. So the meaning of this good while that he wept for a good while in verse 29 in the Hebrew is again, more, longer, continual. It was a long beautiful reunion. What a reunion. I can't, I can't even imagine the emotions. So another great reunion for Joseph. He had the one with his brothers. Now he has the one with his father and Jacob thought his son was dead for 22 years. And then they get reunited. I mean, wow, that's just amazing. So he wept on his neck and was ready then to die. Life was complete for him. However, we're going to see that Jacob's going to leave, live another 17 years. So this reunion obviously shows us God's faithfulness. And it reminds me of the prodigal son in Luke 15, 24. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Well, the prodigal son comes back in a very different way, not with carts and great prestige and all the stuff that this big reunion caused. But the father's love is the same. And that's what kind of hit me. God's faithfulness. We do not earn it. And it is there for us. So let's jump to Genesis 47 as it will reiterate the end of 46. Joseph will go before them and will let Pharaoh know his family is coming. So Genesis 47, 3. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. So we see his brothers when they meet Pharaoh, call themselves servants. So they have that humility and they also tell him that they're shepherds, which in the Egyptian sight was an abomination. But they are accepted to Pharaoh because of Joseph. And we are the Lord's servants, and we can't hide our sin or who we really are, but we are accepted by the Father because of Jesus. So God's faithfulness, God's character. Genesis 47, 5, then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph saying, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. And as I said, shepherds were an abomination in the Egyptian sight. So this is grace and mercy upon Joseph's family. This is God's faithfulness. No matter how things may look or how they normally go, God is bigger. God is faithful. And so we can have victory in that. 
Genesis 47, 7. Then Joseph brought in his father, Jacob, and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. So life is short, and Jacob is showing humility here. Even though he's lived 130 years, he says they've been few. And this could be a study all its own, and it is kind of going to be for our ladies' retreat. Um, Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And I love the word pilgrimage we see twice in these verses in Genesis. Jacob knew he was a sojourner, just passing through. He was on a pilgrimage. He has no permanent dwelling for this world is not his home. This life is temporary and short, and it's not ours. We are not our own. We have been bought at a price. And you can jot down 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 to see what a high price we've been bought at. Psalm 84, 5 says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. And so we are to keep our hearts set on pilgrimage and always remember this is not our home. So let's go to Genesis 47, 11. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread, according to the number in their families. Genesis 47, 13 through 26, I'm just going to summarize that. This section is all on how Joseph handled the famine, how he made sure all the people were taken care of, how he did not gain for himself in all that he orchestrated, but he took care of Pharaoh and he cared for the people. Four-fifths of everything went to the people themselves and one-fifth to Pharaoh, nothing for Joseph's pocketbook. He made them work. He did not just give to them, so they did not lose their dignity. And they were extremely grateful to Joseph and said he saved their lives. God was faithful. Genesis 47, 27. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now, if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me die with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. So he didn't die right then. That's going to be continued in our next study. But we're going to go briefly to our own lives. Um, How can we triumph in God's faithfulness? And so, well, sometimes we don't see his faithfulness, although we may know deep down that he is faithful. Have you had circumstances in your life when you are asking God, where are you? I don't see your hand in this. I don't see this thing going in a good direction. 
that would magnify your faithfulness. And so sometimes it's hard to own it, at least for me. I don't know about you guys. And Joseph as a human being was at times probably wondering, how are your promises going to work out in my life? For through everything he's gone through, I'm sure, being human, he wondered, how's this all going to work, Lord? I know you're faithful, but how's it going to play out? Romans 3.3 says, For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? The answer is no. God is still faithful. Whether we want to believe it or not, he's still faithful. Isaiah 11.5, Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. And Pastor David Guzik says, The qualities of righteousness and faithfulness are so close to Jesus, they are like belts around his waist. Everything Jesus does is touched by his righteousness and faithfulness. So the question, how can we triumph in God's faithfulness when we don't see it? I've wrestled with this topic myself recently. We had something that kind of blindsided us in our family. We had a family situation that I was, was not on my radar at all, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. So I'm kind of asking God, what, what is going on? I don't see this. Um, I know in my head you're faithful, but I'm just not seeing this right now. So through my study on God's faithfulness, he gave me three things I need to continue to do in the midst of unanswered questions. Anybody else have any unanswered questions? No? (laughs) So he told me, obviously, it's all from his word, seek him, which I do, but may we all wholeheartedly continue to seek after him. Jeremiah 29, 13, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And so that's a promise. If I'm not in the word, I am not seeking. I must be proactive, memorizing the word, hiding it in my heart, praying, staying in like-minded fellowship. I must seek him and I will find him in the midst of my unanswered questions, my hurts, my trials. I, if I seek him, I will find him. The second thing is to trust him. So what does that mean? We must trust even when we do not see what we are wanting to see. That's hard. So I don't always like that answer. And so how do I simply trust? And I had come up with an acronym many years ago with scriptures, but I'm going to give it to you really quick on trust. And it's something I have to go back to because the Lord, I know, specifically gave it to me. So the T was for um, talk to God. You know, we always want to run to somebody else, talk to God. The R was to remember his past faithfulness. We always can look back. And see that he has been faithful. The U was to undo wrong thinking. Many times we get in wrong thinking. It's just not godly. It's off the rails. It's just not godly. And the S is to submit to his will. And that's hard. But we need to submit to his will. And the last T was be thankful. So we can always be thankful. There's always something we can be thankful for. But it's not always easy. So as I quoted earlier, Psalm 37, 3, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. We got to go back to the word. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Psalm 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Deuteronomy 7, 9, therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God 
who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. So in that trust, we have to go back to his character, not our own, but the character of God, God's attributes. And since God is an infinite being, no human can fully wrap our mind around this God-sized question, like what is God completely like? What are his attributes? But through God's word, we can understand much about who God is and what he is like. And so trying any other way to describe God is an opinion. We must base it on God's word. And so the third thing is I need to rely on his character, his attributes. And I have a sheet of a lot of things about God up here, if you want to grab it later, and I'm just going to go over briefly some of them, but all of them with the verses that back it all up are on this sheet for you. So um, reading through some of the names of God can be helpful in our search of what God is like. And they are as follows. Elohim is the strong one. He's divine. And that's in Genesis 1.1. And like I said, all of this will be on your sheet. Adonai, Lord, indicating a master-to-servant relationship, Exodus 4, 10 and 13. El Elyon, Most High, the strongest one, Genesis 14, 20. El Roy, the strong one, the God who sees, Genesis 16, 13. El Shaddai, Almighty God, Genesis 17, 1. El Olam, Everlasting God, Isaiah 40, 28. Yahweh, Lord, I am, meaning the eternal self-existent God, Exodus 3, 13, and 14. And so a few qu quick character traits of God from the word is God is eternal, meaning he had no beginning and his existence will never end. He is unchanging. And so these are the things we can remember when we want to go back to God's faithfulness. God is absolutely reliable and trustworthy. He is unequaled and perfect. God is just. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. His actions will always be in accord with the rest of his character. God is one. Not only is there no other, but he is alone in being able to meet the deepest needs and longings of our hearts. God alone is worthy of our worship and devotion. God is sovereign, meaning he is supreme. All of his creation put together cannot thwart his purposes. God is holy. God is gracious. And his grace includes his goodness, kindness, mercy, and love. And if it were not for God's grace, his holiness would exclude us from his presence. Thankfully, that is not the case. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What a verse. Isaiah 25, 1. Oh, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. So we must rely on him as we close up, not ourselves, so that we can have victory in his faithfulness. And remember, Joseph had a stellar character from what is written, but he was still human. And Jacob was not always faithful from what we've read, but both of them were able to triumph in God's faithfulness in their lives. And when we stumble and when we don't believe and when we struggle, remember 2 Timothy 2.13 
If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So God is always faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your character, that we can always rely on it, that it's unchanging, that you're sovereign, that you see all, that you love us. And Lord, that you don't consume us. You have that mercy that we can't even fathom what it really entails because you are a perfect God and we are so imperfect. So thank you, Lord, for all you have done in our lives. Help us to look to you. Help us not to give up. Help us to be faithful. And Lord, we know when we are not faithful, you remain faithful. And so we're so thankful for that. In Jesus' name, amen.